Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, a podcast for fans of the guests who appear on this show, as well as fans of music in general, and a podcast for musicians, singers, songwriters, artists, entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they're doing. I'm your host, Bruce Wozniak from Now Hear This Incorporated. Check out www.nowhearthis.biz. Be sure to sign up for the email newsletter there, which is quick and easy. All that's required is an email address. We are coming to you from Crystal Blue Sound Studios near Tampa, Florida. Check them out on the web at www.cbpro, as in Crystal Blue Productions, cbpro.net. Be sure you are subscribing to this podcast and telling your friends to do so as well. We are thrilled to now be on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and SoundCloud. Lots of great guests on Now Hear This Entertainment, or as I've taken to calling it, NHTE. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Texas, my guest makes up one-fifth of the band Suede Austin. They are a corporate cover band having all kinds of success, not only there in the Lone Star State, but have played out on the road in California, up in Washington State, in Chicago, Las Vegas, Phoenix, and even at Radio City Music Hall in New York. Plus, they have opened for George Lopez, and my guest today has been involved with a number of other music projects away from Suede Austin. You've been hearing a song called Otra Vez, which is a Suede Austin original. It's my pleasure to welcome to the show today guitarist and singer-songwriter Brian Lee. How you doing, Bruce? Outstanding, Brian. Thank you so much for making the time to do this today. I know you've got quite a hectic schedule, both uh, music-wise and away from music. Yes, I do. Uh, just I'm a teacher as well, and a and a father, so I'm uh, I'm pretty much uh, <clears throat> moving around a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, really cool stuff, Brian. I, I wanted to have you on on now here this entertainment because I, I think you and Suede Austin bring a different element to the show rather than a solo act who's doing singer songwriter kind of stuff and putting out CDs. This is a guest that is a different shape and size, so to speak. Although I. I mentioned in the intro a lot of the great work that the band had out on the road. Suede Austin right now is pretty much just a band that stays home in Texas and plays like crazy there, and, and you're a cover band. That's exactly, yeah. We, um, we, we travel when we can. Um, uh, we travel when we get the accommodations right and everything, but there's a couple of us that have jobs here in town, so it's just easier for us to stay home now and... Uh, try to maximize how much we can play locally in texas and i mentioned the the success that you're having there locally how, how in the world have you know and, and and mind you there there are probably listeners who will say you know well check out my band's page you know we have x amount but what i'm getting at is uh at, at some point as as we go through the show listeners don't worry i'll be giving you all the all the relevant links uh to to check things out online but as of today, the day that we're recording the show, over 3,700 likes on your Facebook page for the band, and and I, I th- I'm impressed by that. You know, there are there are a lot of bands out there that are perfectly content, you know, quote unquote, just staying home and and playing locally in in their own area. But some of these bands are around for 10 years, and Suede Austin has over 3,700 likes on your Facebook page, and those those people might have 10 percent of that, 370 likes. How how in the world have you? built up such a tremendous following well i can i we're fortunate enough to have a couple members in the band that are really really good at social networking Mm. and at the same time just 
networking at the shows, and uh, all of us do that. We work really hard to do that. Uh, Robert Wagner, our lead singer, is very, very good at, at just promoting everything that we do on Facebook. And over time, he's really been a key person in, in helping us get the amount of coverage that we've gotten on Facebook and how many likes and stuff. He's just really good at promoing stuff. He could probably work for a promotional firm, you know, if he wanted to. <laughs> he's excellent at that. And, you know, and the rest of it is just, you know, when you're, I think when you've been around as long as all of us have in this town playing in different various bands, between all of us, we just know, I mean, we know a lot more people than just the likes that we have on Facebook. In fact, we were kind of, talking about this a while back like well, i wish we had more you know but i guess we're doing pretty good on that you know interesting interesting uh, talking again about the fact that you know this is this is a five-piece band that's doing covers cover songs I, I i do want to clarify and and you can speak to this all of the members of the band have been in original projects and, and played around the country in fact yes that's that is true we've um Every member in this band at one point or time or even currently has been doing uh, original music their whole career. And we still, I mean, I know I still write. I'm still, I'm about to put out another CD. Uh, Robert, lead singer, is working on another CD. John Lockhart is done, our guitar player, lead guitar player, has done quite a few things uh, in his career that I've watched. I've been a big fan of his for a long time in this town. And he's done a lot of band projects that I've just been really fond of. Um, and then Chris Skiles, our drummer, has done uh, quite a few. He's got a lot of bands behind his band. He's been doing this for, I hope he doesn't get mad at me for saying this, about 40 years or more. <laughs> but so he's got a lot. He's, he's got so much under his belt. I could go for days talking about how much he's worked. And, and our bass player, Danny Sweeney, has done the same. Um, you know, Danny and Chris, they go back a little earlier on in Austin's history and I kind of consider those guys to be uh, pretty iconic as far as helping to build the the live music scene here. I mean, they were, you know, they've been <clears throat> kind of a pioneering force on that, those two. I like I like the reference to to about 40 years. That, that's usually when I throw in a witty line along the lines of, and he's only 44 years old. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a prodigy. Yeah. <laughs> You know, you mentioned though the 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 success or or the band's challenge to themselves about not having more likes on Facebook, and and you made the comment, you know, I guess you know, I guess when you're when you're pretty well known around the area, is is that? I, I want to make sure this comes out correctly. Um, you know, when when I say, does the band just just pretty much book itself at this point? I don't mean. I don't mean, do you have a booking agency or do you do it yourself? It's kind of like saying, you know, well, you know, this is episode, what, 37, I think, of the podcast. And, you know, at this point, the show pretty much runs itself. It, 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 it's right. kind of like, uh, you know, my resume speaks for itself kind of thing. Is it? Is it we've been so successful that, that that's how we, we've gained such popularity and gotten such good bookings? Or, or in fact, do you have a, a you know an agency maybe in town that, that books Wade Austin? How, just just kind of speak to some of that. Well, I, I think it's a combination of all of it. I mean, <clears throat> you have to have... We do book ourselves. John Lockhart, uh, our guitar player, does that. He does a lot of the booking um, connections and, and all of that. But then there's a large part of it as well that speaks for itself. You know, we go out and play, we've acquired a, a, a reputation and a following 
And um, in fact, it kind of amazes me sometimes because, you know, I, I played original music for a really long time, touring around, only doing that. And um, this is the most popular project I've ever been a part of, you know. And, and so, I mean, sometimes I feel like a rock star. Sometimes I'll be walking around and somebody recognizes me. Wow. It happens more and more often as wow. the years go by and as, the, as our following gets bigger. And uh, our lead singer gets stopped all the time. Wow. I mean, he... And, and you don't even have to know he's in a band. He just looks like it. I think he, just, he looks kind of like Rod Stewart, and everybody kind of just responds to that, and they're like, wow. you know." And, Who is that guy over there? I don't know. He looks like he's probably somebody, though. He looks like he's a rock star, exactly. <laughs> it's kind of intimidating to uh, travel around with him or just go about the town with him because, you know, I become invisible at that point, unless mm. I'm on stage. You know, when yeah, we're all on yeah. stage, we get that, but... Off stage, Robert's just—he's a rock star on stage and off stage. He just has that that uh, that thing that people just recognize automatically, you know. Well, and certainly, and, you know, one other aspect of the bookings is, is as you say, you know, the the show kind of sells itself. I, I have to imagine that the years that the band has been together, that there are bookings that you've gotten because somebody saw you for the first time and said, "Wow, these guys are really good. We have to get them for X, Y, or Z." That happens quite a bit. Um, John tries to book us in a lot of places, and it gets—it's a hard. And when I say try, I mean it's because it's—it's it's, even though we have a lot of popularity, it's still a hard task to book here in Austin because there's so many musicians mm. in so many venues. Um, it definitely gets our foot in the door a little easier because of our reputation, but still, nonetheless, we try to get in, in choice venues so that we can be seen to attract that kind of attention. You know, right. there's certain venues we've discovered over time that attract the attention of people where we've gotten a lot of gigs from that venue, so to say. Very good. Well, the the story that you just told there about, you know, kind of rock star status is a good one because at the same time, it's also nice to see I can tell when I look at the Suede Austin Facebook page, and I can tell just by watching some videos from all the way in Florida of your live performances, that despite this this perception that some might have of, you know, wow, these guys are rock stars, everything feels very down-to-earth, very, we are just regular guys with nine-to-five jobs, we're very approachable, and, and we want to reach out and, and literally shake your hand and, and, and connect with our fans, be it through Facebook or through the show that you put on. Oh, definitely. I mean, that's like, I, 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 that's probably the best part of it right there. It's just, you know, we're like everybody else, you know, and we get, we just want to put on a good time for everybody. We like, we like getting that response. It's just, I mean, a lot of people have been watching us for years. I mean, they're part of the Suede family. So it's just, it's one of those things that I, I enjoy the, the networking, the contacts, the, the people that come out and watch us, it's just, it's very exhilarating, you know, and all of us love it, you know, or we wouldn't be doing it. I mean, there's, the money's decent, <laughs> but you really have to love what you do to do this, you know, to be a musician, period, but yet alone go out and play every weekend and yeah. and uh, and do the same thing that we did last week, you know, and we keep adding songs and stuff like that to, to please our crowd, but... Yeah, but you're not getting any younger and, and getting in, you know, getting in the door at three o'clock in the morning, you know, probably is not. That is very idea. true. Yeah, that's that is true. And, um, you know, we've we've worked our our business up to a point to where we actually I mean, Suede is more than just I mean, I think it would be fair for me to talk about this real quick. That We're more than just five guys. You know, we're uh, we actually have a crew 
uh, usually two other, two to three other people, depending on the size of the gig where we're at, that are part of our suede family as well. Our sound guy Sean is, you know, an excellent member of the group as well, and he cares a lot about how we sound. Without him, I mean, you know, without a good sound guy, you don't really get very far in this business. And then uh, we have a, a different various crew members that come in and out to help us out loading in and out and um we don't do a lot of it ourselves anymore as much as we used to we're a little too old to be doing that all the time <laughs> you know but um the chris uh chris skiles our drummer his son chris skiles jr is a big help to the band and he's become our lighting tech recently but he's about to move on, so he's pro- he's programmed a new lighting show for us. So it's like even even if he's not going to be there, I still would consider him a member of the band because sure, he's contributed sure. to the show. So, well, mostly for the sake of the uninitiated, un- uninitiated that are hearing of Suede Austin for the first time, talk about how the band was initially put together. Did did everyone already know each other? Were there auditions? Just kind of walk us through that formation period. I knew. I was approached by a friend of mine when I was uh, playing a gig with uh, a friend of mine, Monty Montgomery, at uh, what was what was the place? Antones here in Austin, and it's a pretty well-known venue for original music. Um, he told me about this band that wanted to get together on Sundays and and just play classic rock tunes, and I was like, "Well, that that sounds like fun." You know, I haven't done anything like that in a while. And, and so, uh, when he told me the members, I knew I knew John Lockhart. I've known John Lockhart and Chris Skiles for oh, probably a little over twenty years. Okay. And um, we go way back. And John and I have been trying to do a project together for about that time. And it took us <laughs> until about you know seven seven and a half years ago to to actually make that happen. But uh, Danny, I met for the first time in the rehearsal room, the first rehearsal we had. Um. And Robert, I had met just briefly a few times, uh, dating back about 15 years, uh, but had never really actually worked with them or talked to them. So those two were very new to me, and I was new to them. Um, you know, and we we all had been doing we all had been doing successful things with our careers at the time, but we wanted to get together and just have this really cool uh, classic rock project. That's how it started. And then we started getting a lot of response, and that it just sort of launched launched from there. We're like, well, hey, we could make this into a full time project. And I was interested in getting out of touring at the time because my wife and I had just gotten pregnant, so I wanted to stay closer to home for my daughter, at least for the first several years. And now it's turned into what it has. So. And so, of course, I have to ask the other component of all that is the band name Suede Austin. Who who was wearing who was wearing suede at the time that uh, that influenced the band name? You know, it, it, I I it's first of all, Suede is a great name to have in Texas. It just is. It's a very Texasy kind of name, and for some reason, it all hit us. It just hit us like, well, that's the perfect name for a classic rock band in Texas. I don't know. And, <laughs> And uh, I think John, our guitar player, John and Rob, uh, came up with that name. I don't remember any previous ideas for names. That, so that was the first. I mean, we were a nameless band, and all of a sudden we were swayed one night. And uh, and it was right before it was right before we played our first gig. And wow. I was like, okay, so we're going to be swayed. So and, I, and, and all of us liked it. And, <laughs> Never had any problem with it. So, 
And we we also wanted a name that could be versatile because we play a lot of different kind of music at this point in our repertoire. We're really grateful for that name. I mean, playing everything from country to dance music. I mean, so we thought Suede was about the most universal name we could stick with. So so it was the band's first name and last name. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it still hasn't changed. And it's it's and it seemed to just work. It just fell into place. And that's really, actually, it's perfect because that's how we, I mean, we all just fell into place. It wasn't, this band has never, other than playing a lot of shows per year, this band has never been uh, personnel-wise that big of a challenge ever with any of us. I, I'm grateful mm. to be working with a lot of guys that are very experienced. Um, we've all been doing this for a really long time and in our lives. This has been our main career choice for a long time. So it just all fell into place. Well, let's just back up uh, for a minute. You you were you were saying, and in, in, in Suede Austin does have a really great repertoire. The the versatility is certainly a real asset. The band plays rock and roll, R and B, country. Uh, how how often do you inject new cover songs into your show? And and I guess who in the band is calling the shots on what songs are getting added and dropped? Um, we all pretty much call the shots on what gets added and dropped. Uh, there's some voices that are more prominent than others and it depends on what, you know, it depends on what the song is. I, I don't I, I wouldn't actually, how do would I describe that? It just depends on, uh, basically who brought in the song, who, who wanted to bring in. I mean, there's been songs we brought in that were just total bombs we all thought it was going to go over great, huh. you know? And then there are other songs that we brought in that we didn't think were going to go over that great that are just like now a staple on our show, <laughs> you know? And so it's really hard, you know? I mean, as far as calling the shots, our guitar player, John and uh, Chris, our drummer, uh, usually have a pretty good mind for that because they've played in a few more professional cover bands than the rest of us. Uh, prior to this so they have a better instinct for that i think than the rest of us in the band um and, you know it does goes without saying sometimes we get in arguments over it you know and sure. you know like any band will but and we get along like a band of brothers on that one so you know sometimes it's a hit or miss sometimes we argue it sometimes we don't sometimes it just works out fine well you know? but but how often do you uh either put new put new songs in or or, or drop certain songs um Every month we try to bring in at least a handful of songs. Oh, wow. Wow, that's so, impressive. But out of those handful of songs, you know, there's only going to... I think our success rate, and this is probably true for any cover band, um, about two, three at best, two or three of those songs is actually going to stick. Mm-hmm. You know, it, definitely one is going to stay in our show for like pretty much the rest, you know, for the next couple of years, you know, there's always one mm-hmm. out of five songs is always going to be that song. That's like, well, okay, that one stays in our set for a while. You know, it just goes over that. Well, oh. it's hard to gauge though. A lot of newer music, it's very hard to tell in today's pop, you know, what's going to go over well live with the, with our crowd and, and especially in the club scene, uh, it you don't really know like it could be a song that you think is is really just the the party and you play it a few times live and people are just standing in front of you like deer in the headlights you know and, and that's when we can pretty much tell well that song's really not going to work <laughs> mm-hmm. so something about that story reminds me of 2 weeks ago 
on the podcast when Frankie Shinta was saying that now as as part of their their act in Las Vegas, uh, that that they're actually doing a Vici, and, and he said, you know, he really wasn't too crazy about doing it, but just kind of, some, you know, I don't remember if he said that it was, uh, you know, the person at the casino that calls the shots or who it was, but, you know, it was kind of one of those things of where you have to grin and bear it because it is what the people want, you know, and you, you might be in a situation oh. where you're playing something that you don't want to play, but boy, the crowd sure loves it. That's, and yeah, uh, that, that happens from time to time. I, what's funny is that there have been a couple of songs like that, to my recollection, that I personally didn't like. You know, that I, I was like, well, you know, I just, but I knew it would go over. And then over time, this is kind of funny how this works, but over time, I've, you know, I, I'll either love the song after a while or, or just, you know, grow to appreciate it to a certain point. Just because it's interesting when you see the crowd react to certain material and then you begin to look at it from a different perspective. Like, well, you know, I never realized that song made people feel that way. Yeah, yeah. Or, and so you grow to appreciate it at that point, you know, and it's actually kind of made me more open to certain songs that normally I wouldn't have liked in the past, you know, mm. certain styles of music, I think. And now I'm a lot more appreciative of it because I see the effect it has on people. And, and it makes me look at it from a different perspective. As an artist, I'm always going to look at it from a very different point of view starting off. And as a performer, even. But then when you see how the crowd sees it objectively you know it's like well you know certain things start to change over time and i mean that's best way i can put that i know every performer has a song that they don't even people who, who do their own music after a while they get tired of sure sure of doing that music i remember uh hearing an interview with pat manitar about how it's really hard for her to sing uh hit me with your best shot <laughs> anymore because she's done it thousands of times you know and so it's actually physically harder for her to sing that song than most songs in her her show. And I know what that feels like. I'm known for singing Journey and things like that in the band. And I have probably sung Don't Stop Believing more times than Steve Perry has in his career. <laughs> don't quote me on that, but I don't, I, I'm pretty sure I've sung it more times than he had to throughout his career. But Well, it, wait a minute. You know, wait a minute. I might, I might choose to quote you on that because <laughs> we've, we've got this little thing going here. It started... It started back on episode 23 with Amy Petty, where she was saying that she'd almost rather play a house concert than play Carnegie Hall again. And I said, wait a minute, you know, I'm going to write a blog that says, uh, I would rather do a house concert than play Carnegie Hall, says singer-songwriter Amy Petty, and it'll get both of us all kinds of notoriety. And then similarly, I believe it was uh, a few weeks ago on on episode 34, when... uh, Roxana, she's a Canadian singer-songwriter, and boy, oh boy, my my usual trivial mind is is failing me at this point. But I know that she said something that kind of prompted me to resurrect that idea of, uh-oh, I'm going to write a blog and I'm going to put, uh, you know, singer-songwriter Roxana said X Y Z, and it's going to go viral and everybody. Else. So, <laughs> so you know, maybe if I put this out, then you know, Steve Perry will pick it up, the current members of Journey will pick it up, and and who know, you know, next thing you know, you and I are going to be sitting in the office of Rolling Stone and. Who knows where it goes from there? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be interesting. That would be that would definitely be very interesting. Yes, but you know, I've I've had that conversation many times. Um, you know, just as a music fan, because it, it's no secret. I've said it on this show many times that you know my all time favorite band has been Rush, and uh, you know, after all these years, you have to wonder. Come on, you know, Getty, don't 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 be so politically correct. Just admit that you're you're tired of singing Tom Sawyer after all these years. <laughs> I think you know it's funny too that you say that. I'm a big Rush fan as well, and um, 
I watched their documentary recently. Um, I don't remember the name of it now. Beyond, the, light, Beyond the Lighted Stage. Beyond the Lighted Stage. Great, great film. And I, I could tell, you know, that they've all been doing this for a while. They love doing what they do. But, you know, after so many years of playing the same songs over and over again, it's got to get tiring. And Getty's got a high range. You know, a lot of us high range singers, it's a higher maintenance on your voice, especially if you're a guy. And uh, it it becomes hard, you know, 20 years into it, you're like, wow, I'm still singing stuff I was singing back in my 20s, you know, and and still trying to, to push it out the way I could in my 20s, but your voice just doesn't have the same vitality that it did. You know, every player in the band, you just don't have the same vitality that you had when you were younger to pull a lot of things off, but 20 years later, you're finding yourself still doing it. Okay, and, but interestingly and, enough, and, I'm, and I'm gonna, there's going to be a question at the end of this, Two weeks ago on the show, again, Frankie Shinta, you know, who, who is a Las Vegas headliner, he talked about mm. the fact that he has his ritual every night when he's about to perform. And one of the things that he mentioned on this, you know, sort of, sort of a day of show timeline was being in his dressing room and doing some vocal warm-ups, which I loved hearing because I was, you know, telling the, the, the listeners that are young singers that, that think, oh, I don't, I don't need to do vocal warm-ups. Hey, listen to this guy. He's a headliner in Las Vegas. And after all these years, he's still doing it. So, because of the challenge that you just described, Brian, do you mm-hmm. do some of that for yourself? Oh, definitely. I mean, I started teaching about a year ago, teaching vocals at a, a local shop around here and uh, not too far from where I live. And it has definitely gotten me back into really doing a lot of warm-up exercises, things that I forgot. You forget after a certain amount of time. And I think it's very important as a singer, as a, as a musician, period, you, no matter what instrument you're doing, that you uh, incorporate lots of different warm-ups, lots of different, just your ritual before the show is actually very important, um, especially as a singer. I mean, I can speak mostly as a singer on that one. I play guitar as well, but singing, I have to go, and every year that goes by, I have to do, it's almost like I have to retrain myself to do the same things. It's... Kind of weird like that. Well, but it's important, and, you know, again, I, I, I want to encourage the listeners, especially those that are young and, and hopefully have have tuned in because you're trying to get some lessons, you're trying to learn from those that are having success in the music business. And, and you know, what you're describing there, taking care of the instrument that is your voice, I know this is episode 37, and this is going to sound like I'm sending people way back in time, but as far back as on episode 8 Dominic Pages was talking about that you have to take care of that instrument, that your voice is an instrument, and there's exercises that you could do. It's diet that goes into it. It's oh yeah, staying, all of that. Staying hydrated. There, you know that that that's an episode to go back and listen to. Yes, listeners, all the way back to episode eight. And so, Brian, I'm glad to hear you saying that. You know that you have kind of uh, had a rebirth of of exactly what you just described there. Oh, yeah, definitely. And well, being a singer is is a very high maintenance instrument. I mean, it's you have to all of what you just said is true. Diet. A lot of people don't realize that. A lot of my students I kind of school them on that. Like, you know, your diet matters, your your physical fitness matters. Um how you speak throughout the day. How you uh what muscles you're using, you know, I mean, just uh, diaphragm muscles and things like that, that you just, you have to kind of, I, I speak most of the time 
with my diaphragm just to stay warmed up all day long mm. and wow. every day because I have to sing every day. You know, because I'm a teacher, I'm also having to sing. I mean, to be able to show them an example of anything, I have to be able to sing it myself. And regardless if I had a three-day week of nonstop gigs or five-day week of nonstop gigs of singing at the top of my range the whole time, I still have to be able to go in there and teach my students how to do that. And, you know, sometimes it's, sometimes it's a bad day just because, you, like I said, there's a lot of allergies going around here in Austin right now. And so there's some certain physical things that you just can't do anything about. Yeah, yeah. But, 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 there, you, but there are things that you can, you know, I remember my first ever client, she was, she was very big on vocal rest. You know, especially especially the day of a show, she would she would barely speak at all. You know, if if not maybe just a whisper. And then I started to carry that over. And the next thing you know, I'm working with someone. I'm, I'm, this is the last question I'm going to ask you. And then I'm sorry, I'll stop making you talk. And she said, "Well, what's the big deal?" And I said, "Well, I'm sure you want to do you know plenty of vocal rest." And she's, "No, I'm not. I'm not one of those people. I don't, I don't do the whole vocal rest thing." And I thought, "Wow, I, that's that's a big." I difference. tried that. I honestly tried that at, at a certain point, and um, maybe because I. Uh, being in a cover band is like being on a non-stop tour in a way uh, maybe because I'm singing every week and sometimes more than two days a week uh, it just I found that resting my voice like that actually didn't help it actually made things worse mm. for some singers it helps it, you know, it depends on the person you know cert- certain people it, that works. Some people it doesn't. I can tell you with a lot of uh, opera singers, people that are really having to enunciate, you know, that aren't really on the mic as much, or if they're just really loud singers, a lot of those people I, I've noticed will take a lot more vocal rest time. Mm-hmm. And I sing semi-loud, but you know, I, I try to pace myself, you know, and and that, I think pacing yourself is the most important thing more than rest. Is that you just figure out how to use your voice right and pace yourself. Well said. Well, you know. well said. Very interesting. Thank you for that. Uh, I am Bruce Wozniak, and joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Texas is guitar player and singer-songwriter Brian Lee from the band Suede Austin. Visit their official website at www.suedeaustin.com. Find them and like them on Facebook as well. Brian himself has a page on Reverb Nation, which you can find at reverbnation.com slash Lee. Plus, he has a solo CD called Pennies and Dimes, which is available on iTunes, Amazon.com, CDBaby.com, and a bunch of other online retailers. Be sure that you're also checking out www.nowhearthis.biz, that's H-E-A-R, and sign up for the e-newsletter there and subscribe to this podcast and tell others about it too. Subscribing is free, and it makes it just so easy to get the show every week. It'll just download automatically for you when a new episode comes out, so you don't even have to go looking for it. Feel free to use the social media buttons on nowhearthis.biz to like the Now Hear This page on Facebook and or become a Twitter follower. And please, I'd love to hear your feedback about the podcast. Post your comments on that Facebook page that I just mentioned. It's facebook.com slash nowhearthisinc. Brian, that question that I asked about who is calling the shots on what songs are getting put in and taken out, I asked it because while there are an odd number of members in the band which would allow... It would it would prevent a tie in case of a vote. When uh-huh. a performer is in a band environment and not going solo, there are other schedules to contend with. The money has to be split, <laughs> and, and by all means, there are other egos at play. So I'm not going to sit here and pretend that there haven't been 
any disagreements over anything over the years, but to what do you attribute Swade Austin managing to to both be so successful over the years and stay together? Oh, wow. That's a... Hmm. Well, as I said earlier, you've got to love what you're doing. And more importantly, if you're in a band, I think it's very important that you... Uh, that you love the people that you're working with, you know, that that chemistry is there. And honestly, that I think is the biggest part of it right there. We just have that chemistry. We're lucky enough to have that chemistry that has just helped us. Uh, I mean, when you have positive reinforcement between each other, or at least enough of it, and like I said, we get along like brothers, so we'll fight from time to time. But um, when you have that positive reinforcement, it, it, helps you come up with the better ideas. It helps you come up with the better ways of planning a business out. You respect each other more. You respect each other, what each other, what each, what each person is doing in the project and, and for the project. And everybody in this band has their place pretty much. And we've just sort of naturally fallen into it. And like I said, Robert's really good with promoting. John's really good with the booking because he's just got that, personality he's very good with people um chris is our pretty much our band accountant and he's very good with numbers <laughs> he's very good with and that you know that matters you know and when you're running sure. a business so our business keeps growing and chris is a big part of that he's he's a big part of man helping to manage the money behind that and that's that's a big deal so and then uh danny is super good. <laughs> I, I call Danny, our bass player, the band morale guy. He's so just such a nice guy that, you know, if, if anybody was fighting in the band, he'd be the first guy to come up and just be like, pat each person on the back and be like, hey, guys, you know, I love you guys. You know, or he would just kind of remind us that, yeah. hey, you know, we don't have to fight like that. Yeah, that's know, awesome. Always. And and I, I like that you used the expression band of brothers because, uh Again, going back to that same episode eight with Dominic Pages, he used that exact same expression on that episode in referring to his band, Crystal Blue, which has been wildly successful for years and years around the greater Tampa Bay area. And although it has gone through different formations of the band, you know, different, I think they're up to version whatever now, you know, he jokes about it, but he, he refers to today's version of Crystal Blue as a band of brothers, and, and that's why they do look so natural together and that they're enjoying themselves so much on stage, because it's exactly that, that camaraderie, Brian, that, that you just talked about. So that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's certainly important. Okay, now it's time for Bruce's Bonus. This is a segment here on Now Hear This Entertainment where I take off my hat as podcast host and put on my hat as president of Now Hear This Incorporated, giving a helpful tip for the listeners that are musicians, singers, songwriters, entertainers who are out there trying hard to make a go of it. Today's bonus is when you create an event on Facebook, think twice before you invite everyone, meaning all your friends or all your followers, especially if you're someone who does this regularly. A, enough people do that nowadays where I'm sure the majority of those invites don't even get looked at. And B, it's especially annoying when someone's getting an invitation to a gig that's a thousand miles away. It shows that you're just blanketing everyone and not just targeting your area. Those fans won't feel like you care about them specifically and are just looking for numbers. Here's my secret tip. If there's something you feel really strongly about, post it as a status on your page, not overly wordy either, and consider even tagging people in your posts, those that you know will attend, and also be an ambassador for you. So, 
We're playing at X and are excited to see a lot of you there. Share this post and bring some friends with you. That kind of thing. And that is today's Bruce's Bonus. Based partially on, on having asked you about new songs being put into the show, this this next question is, is almost kind of a running tally that perhaps we should be keeping on now here, this entertainment, because this has come up on, on other episodes. Right off the top of my head, I'm thinking of episode 23 with Amy Petty, but I know there have been others. Brian, does Suede Austin have rehearsals, or or is it just, no, we, we've been doing this long enough, you know, playing as many shows as we play is rehearsing enough for us? We have rehearsed, uh, I think, a total of five times in the entire time we've been together, and that was in the very beginning of the band when we were coming up with our very first set list. Um, it, we, we, we have been playing long enough to study the songs on our own, and then we get together on stage, you know, the, during the weekend. And, and, you know, the first, we usually try to put it, it depends on how complicated the song is. If it's a really uh, hard song, we'll try to put it in the third set when, you know, people are feeling a little more tipsy and might forget <laughs> that we might have, we might have ended Very the song smart. wrong or something. Very smart. <laughs> but, but if we're feeling really confident about it, we'll put it in the first set, you know. And, and, and a lot of, in fact, lately we've been putting a lot of it in the first set and just getting it out there. And, and it just, you know, it, there's no better way for us to get that uh, accomplished because all of us are so busy in our lives outside of Suede um, with our families and such. Chris and I have families. Um, the other members have either jobs or other gigs that they're doing, solo gigs. So it's easiest for us to just, you know, agree that we're going to learn this song in this key uh you sing this harmony, you sing this part, John will send me a text on uh, what guitar parts he wants me to play. Sometimes he'll even videotape himself playing wow. the part. Wow. And then I'll, you know, and then and then we just go from there, you know, and, and we get on stage and sometimes it's perfect the first time and sometimes it's really loose and we just, you know, tighten it up as we go along. I can honestly say that the players in this band are real, are good enough to where we tighten the songs up faster than anybody I've worked with in the past. Wow. Wow. And it takes maybe a... a a few shows at best on a song that we're not tight on to really hone in on it. Most of the people in the crowd don't notice it. And now that I've said that, they're going to look for it. Yeah, re- reading between the lines of what you're saying, I think I think there's almost an element of accountability in there. In other words, look guys, we are too busy. We can't get together and rehearse these. So when we play it, it's going to be live in front of a big audience so you you need to come ready with the song because if you were doing rehearsal after rehearsal after rehearsal, someone can say, "I didn't get around to it yesterday. My kid was sick." You know, well, what about the next mm-hmm. day? Well, I got home late from work and I just kind of ran out of time. And this is a case of, all right, look, you know, we're we're all big boys here, and you know, we know when the next show is. We know what song we're putting in. You need to know it by Saturday night. You know, or you need to know it's, it by whatever two ten days from now. Right. Yeah, that's exactly. It and well, and it goes without saying though, there are times where uh, somebody can't learn the song or didn't have the time, something came up. Um, I've been very guilty of this a few times, um, <laughs> just to where it just didn't work out. And and so, what we usually do is we'll postpone bringing it in at that point, but nonetheless, because it is a priority, it still gets brought in sooner than later, you know. So, it it just 
it works better for us to to i think it keeps us on our toes to be honest you know to be able to have to study the thing and not and we've all been playing together long enough to know what what that person's going to play like on that song you know we mm. we understand each other's chemistry that well wow. that's that's another great thing about this band is i just we just know that it's going to work out sometimes sometimes it's a hit or miss sometimes uh sometimes you can always tell i can when somebody hasn't done their homework, you know, and again, like I said, I've been guilty of this many times. For the most part, we, we just, we, we try our best to have it down as perfect as possible, as much like the album as possible. That's pretty much what we're known for. On a lighter note, how does a band like yours get an opportunity to open for George Lopez? And, and for that matter, how fun was that? It, first of all, it was a blast. I answer your second part of that. <laughs> it, it's, it was a total just an awesome experience the whole time and uh his crew the nicest people on the planet um george himself was just so kind to us and uh how we got that gig was we we were playing a place here in austin uh one night it was just a typical club gig and he just i think he had done a show somewhere nearby and was looking for a place to hang out afterward and so I remember, uh, like an idiot, I, I'm a singer. I was I used to smoke for a while, and uh, I smoked for about 20 years. And this, this is back. This is about four or five years ago. I was still smoking cigarettes. I was out front smoking a cigarette in the club, and this limo pulls up, and the guy gets out and he's like, "Yeah, Mr. Lopez would like his table in the back, you know, near the band, kind of thing." And I and I saw him get out of his car and I was just freaked out. That, you know, <laughs> wow, George Lopez is George Lopez is coming in to watch us, or just coming into the club. And we played a lot of classic rock, and he's a big fan of classic rock. Uh, he's, that's just his his music taste is all about you know seventies rock, seventies and early eighties rock and roll. And we played, I think we were playing Boston, a Boston song, and <laughs> our singer jumped off the stage with his wireless mic, saw him dancing out in the crowd, and got him to sing along with us. <laughs> uh, his manager really loved it, and he loved it. And a few months later, we got a call. I guess we exchanged information with him. Somebody did. I think it was our guitar player and, and singer. And uh, we get a call uh, from his management wanting us to open up for him at the Nokia Theater in L.A. Wow, wow during a three-night stint and it was uh, in celebration of some awards that he had won wow and he was doing a stand-up of course there and so it was a packed house every night it's about eight thousand people every night amazing and that was the biggest show to date i think that we've ever actually done amazing and, and it was a blast i mean we just had so much fun uh i can't even really describe it and you know it was, it was bigger than anything i had done on stage before and uh and then radio city music hall yeah i was just gonna say wait a minute radio city music hall in new york really that's uh, that was that was a surprise to us Uh, you know we they offered us the gig and we were like wow you know i mean how can you turn that down of course and it just it that was an amazing experience uh to go and play that uh see people holding up their glow sticks in front of you you know it's just like a regular concert and wow and uh, every show that we did with him was also, was was equally as amazing in one way or another. I mean, they're just it was such such a big event each time, and uh, we, you know, we're all very grateful that we got that experience. Uh, it's just 
and it did help us. I mean, that was something that helped our reputation too I'm for sure. a little while. I'm sure. We have talked a handful of times on now here this entertainment about the whole topic of crowdfunding. Uh, and actually, before I ask Brian this question, I want to make sh- make sure that I'm clear here that I continue to not endorse any one site. These are these are just usually the the ones that get mentioned: uh, Kickstarter and Rocket Hub. Um, uh-huh. Brian, through the website GoFundMe.com, Suede Austin launched a crowdfunding campaign earlier this year, but not for reasons that the listeners would think. This wasn't for raising money to record a CD. Tell the listeners what that was all about. Well, okay. Uh, 17th of May uh, of this year, we, we just finished playing a gig um, up north in Austin, and um, our we have a truck, we have a band truck, and it's kind of an older Penske truck that we're using. And, and the latch, for some reason, didn't latch down right in the back. It wasn't secured right. And, you know, these are things that happen. It's very easy, actually, for this to happen. We actually tested it afterwards, like, oh, I can see how that <laughs> happened. Um, and it's also a noisy truck. You know, things kind of bounce around and rattle around. So when the the crew had loaded up and... and shut the door as they drove off they didn't notice anything falling out because you really can't tell you can't tell by hearing it you know and and it's you know it's three thirty in the morning at that point and so everybody's tired and he was just ready to get home and you know was focusing on driving and basically i guess over the course of around 22 miles or a 22 mile stretch everything uh, not everything, but a lot of our equipment, about $21,000 of our equipment mm. fell out of the back of the truck. Most of it was on wheels and on in really heavy-duty road casing. So we figured, well, there's not going to be any damage. And when they went back and, and looked for it, it had disappeared, mm. which baffled all of us. So we just... You know, at that point, you're like, "Wow, how do we recover this? How are we?" I mean, this is stuff that we've accumulated over the last seven and a half years. Wow. You know, and and so we just were really bummed out about it, obviously, and, and couldn't figure out how to how to fix the problem other than throwing a benefit. So we started GoFundMe.com account, and then we also threw a suede a benefit for for our band in Austin and donated some of it to charity as well, which by the way, it's a, I'll get into that in a minute, but um, we were successful at recovering all of the funds to purchase new equipment. In the meantime, we had to purchase new equipment on credit, Wow, you know, just to replace it. And some sure. of it of which we rented. So it was like, you know, well now we have to cover our overheads. So now we really got to rush. We had a lot of really great people help out with that. And over the course of six and a half weeks, there were a lot of close friends of ours and, and people that we had just met along the way helped put together something that normally would take about six months to plan. Mm. And it was executed very well. Um, lots of credit to uh, our drummer's wife, Michelle Skiles, and uh, my wife, <laughs> Michelle Lee, helped out a lot with that. And... Um, Several other people who just went above and beyond to help get us back on our feet, including the musicians that came out to play at our benefit. A lot of uh, famous Austin musicians came out to play. We had 
a guy named Van Wilkes who's very well known here. Um, Christ, you remember? I don't know if you remember this guy, Christopher Cross. Of course, of course. And he lives here in town, and Danny uh, used to be our bass player. Used to be his personal assistant way back in the day, in the wow. highlight of, in the height of his career. So, and he's been a fan of Suede's ever since we played the Nokia when we went to California. Wow! wow. Um, he. He, we met up with him there. I got to meet him there. He came out and played his songs, you know, which he didn't have to do, and he just did it out of the kindness of his heart, and that was just that was awesome, wow. you know. And yeah, so admit- so it's a so it's a happy ending, in other words, you know, don't because because the, the the page is still there. If the listeners go and look, they're going to say, well, it only says they raised over fifty five hundred dollars, and their goal was seventeen thousand. So you're saying no, we didn't we didn't put all our eggs in that one basket. We no, we didn't. We we put it. We did several different things. I mean, the benefit helped out. I think the most, but GoFundMe was a big deal too. I mean, that was that was the beginning of it. You know, I mean, that yeah. was those that was the first money that we saw. In fact, without GoFundMe, I don't think that we would have been able to purchase some of the equipment for oh, replacement well, in the meantime. Interesting. So that was a big deal that 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 raised money first and gotcha gotcha i am bruce warzniak and joining me today on the now hear this entertainment guest line from texas is guitar player and singer songwriter brian lee from the band suede austin visit their official website at www.suedeaustin.com find them and like them on facebook as well brian himself has a page on reverb nation which you can find at reverbnation.com slash brian andrew lee Plus, he has a solo CD called Pennies and Dimes, which is available on iTunes, Amazon.com, CDBaby.com, other online retailers as well. Be sure that you're also checking out www.nowhearthis.biz. That's H-E-A-R for the spelling challenge, as I used to say. And sign up for the e-newsletter there and subscribe to this podcast and tell others about it too. Subscribing, as I mentioned before, is free, and it makes it very easy to get the show every week because it just downloads automatically for you when a new episode comes out. Uh, feel free to use the social media buttons on nowhearthis.biz to like the Now Hear This page on Facebook and or become a Twitter follower. And please, I always welcome your feedback about the podcast. Post your comments on facebook.com slash nowhearthisinc. Brian, everyone knows that Austin, Texas is a real music hotbed of course, it is home to South by Southwest. Uh, has Suede Austin played that event? What, what What do you have to say about South by Southwest? What has been your experience with it, whether as a participant or, or just as a fan or, or maybe both? South by Southwest uh, has been going on for such a period of time in this town that um, over the years that I've lived here, I've played it a few times uh, probably dating back about 10, a little over 10 years ago. Um, John Lockhart, our guitar player, he did. He has a country band on the side, that he uh, an original project that does country music uh, that he's written. And he performed, I believe, I think it was either, I think it was last South by Southwest or the one prior. He did a showcase at it. And we've all done showcases, but we've never done them as suede. I see. I and see. Uh, Suede, really, be- because we're a cover band, there's really not a lot of uh, spots for cover bands to play during that event. In fact, a lot of the time we're out of town because it's hard <laughs> to find a gig during that period. Um, but smart. nonetheless, during the week when we're not playing, we'll go and, and check it out and support our friends and, and such. And, and, and sometimes we'll actually land a spot of our own, you know, just individually. Yeah, very good. Very good. Let's uh, Let's shift over to some of your 
non-Suede Austin projects. When we close the show, we're going to play one of your original songs and get you to talk about it. But for now, let's look back and have you kind of talk us through the the pre-Suede Austin years, going all the way back to the Brian Lee Orchestra and then up through, of course, meeting Monty Montgomery. Okay. Well, uh, I guess like 95, around 95, I decided that I wasn't really interested in playing in bands for a while. I had, you know, just, I'd played in a, a couple of bands prior and I was really just tired of that and traveling around the way that we did and not really making any money. And, and I wanted to be more creative. I wanted to do a lot more original music and, I think I was about 24, 25 at the time, and I started playing a lot of acoustic gigs down on 6th Street in Austin. And 6th Street, back in this era, I just want to clarify this real quick, was a very different place back in 95 than it is now. Um, There were a lot more live venues during the day and night, and now it's kind of changed. But um, I was playing a lot of original music, uh, during late happy hours is like what I like to call them. Usually starting at around seven o'clock and going into about nine to ten o'clock sometimes. And I acquired a pretty good following at the time, and I started incorporating different elements around me, like a percussionist. Uh, my roommate was a really great percussionist. He now plays for a band called Mingo Fish Trap. His name is Michael Erdy, awesome player. He he and I started it off, and then we started adding people around us. Um, another percussionist came in and played a. a uh, instrument called a doombeck and then uh, I had a cello player friend of mine come in and play and so a friend of mine came up to me and he's like well you guys are like the Brian Lee Orchestra and so we're like, okay, we'll just call ourselves the Brian Lee Orchestra and before that we really didn't have a name other than just my name or we'd make up a name every night you know some ridiculous name like Space Boy or something like that and, and, and uh, it just kept getting more and more popularity and it kind of fizzled out at a certain point because different people started doing different projects and um, the places that I was playing weren't getting as much success anymore. There's a lot of change that was going on downtown at the time. And I didn't have a lot of resources to, uh, in fact, I didn't, I don't believe, I don't, I did not have a car at that time. So I remember I was very limited to where I could play. Um, and over time, I just kept writing and working on music, and I, I was aware of Monty Montgomery back then. Um, never thought in a million years that I'd be able to work with him, especially back then. I put together another project uh, shortly after the Brian Lee Orchestra called Cameron Road, and that was a duo with a female singer, a good friend of mine, Andrea Cavender. And we put out an album together, actually, um, and just, it was a lot of the same material that showed up on my Pennies and Dimes CD later. At the time, I was having a lot of vocal issues, and so I felt it better to bring in a female vocalist at the time to mm. try and uh, just do something different. I also wanted to do something very different. And, and you know, we did that for, oh, up until about, uh, from about 2000 to 2004, I was prominently working on that project. And around the end of 2004, I was introduced to Monty Montgomery and uh, started playing shows for him, opening up for him. And I met Monty Montgomery because I was trying to open up a recording business. I wanted to record him and 
be hired to record him and uh, put out a live CD, maybe, or just archive his stuff. And and then he saw me perform a few times, and uh, the next thing I know, I'm on tours with him. Wow. You know, wow. And just working on my originals. And in 2006, he and I went into the studio and uh, produced Pennies and Dimes with another good friend of ours, Carl Thiel. And I went to Italy with him. I sold out of wow. CDs within the first three days. Wow. Had to order, had to have more CDs shipped out. Um, it was a lot of fun working with him. I went all over the Midwest with him. Um, too many places to list right now, but just all over the Midwest. I played in New York. I played at the Knitting Factory in New York. That was a blast. Um, knitting Factory in California. Um, just a lot of different festivals. And he would always get me to also sit in afterward and, and sing a couple songs with him and his band. And I've doubled as his guitar tech and opener at the time, um, working on those tours with him. Well, so that I, was a lot of work. It was a lot of it was an eye-opening experience. It was a lot of fun working yeah, with him. And just to jump in, just to give the listeners who aren't familiar with with some of his credentials. Um, Monty Montgomery is known for doing the music on Tim Allen's latest TV show, Last Man Standing, and is also known as as one of the world's top 50 guitar players, according to Guitar Player magazine. So definitely um, some some good company that you were in there. Talk also, Brian, if you would, about Acoustic Cafe. Acoustic Cafe was a project that John Lockhart and I put together. John Lockhart, the guitar player in Suede, and I put together... Um, as a side project outside of Suede to just do different material. I had been doing an acoustic show of my own for a long time outside of it, you know, just different various cover songs all mixed in with my originals, um, making extra money doing that. And uh, in fact, prior to playing with Suede, that was all I did as I, I played acoustic shows. Mm-hmm. When we, we partnered up, it was still... A lot of my show, and then we started playing a particular venue in town or out in the hill country uh, in Austin and started getting a lot of recognition. So we, we formed, we you know put a title to it, Acoustic Cafe, and just started doing this acoustic duo that got a lot of attention for a little while and it was a lot of fun yeah I mean, nice nice I, I, I like i like the concept and i like the i like the story and um, we're about out of time but before before we close and, and i have you uh talk about what, what the listeners are going to hear just just go ahead and, and give an update uh, put in a plug however you want to say it you mentioned very early on in the show that you're working on new material and that you will be putting out another solo cd so if you just kind of give us the update on that you know the, the timetable kind of thing <laughs> that's a good question timetables <laughs> I'm so horrible at timetables uh, because I'm self-producing it it's kind of indeterminate when it's going to come out I've actually been working on it for about two years now um, just because I've been so busy with so many other things I've just kind of do it on my leisure yeah I think so, I think what I was after was you know oh gee Bruce I've only written two songs so far or oh the whole thing is recorded and you know so that's just, that's just kind of more I've actually written probably about 20 songs wow. at this point but i'm trying to focus on how i can put uh you know a lot less material than that together as a body of work and gotcha. and i'm such a perfectionist that i keep going back and changing things, <laughs> things like that so. 
Okay, so then, so then, lastly, uh, before we play, don't you lie to me? Tell the listeners about this song since this is this is one of your originals, and and of course, uh, you know, additionally, um, you can also talk about the Pennies and Dimes CD itself. Uh, don't you lie to me was basically a song about uh, <laughs> a manager I'd been working with uh, in the past, and it. It started off as that, and then I sort of incorporated some other elements that could make it universal. It could be about a relationship. It could be about anything. But mm. um, just it was mostly about the concept of people uh, saying things to and about you um, that ne- aren't necessarily true. And and just you know, as a, as a performer, I, I get really paranoid about that. Sometimes I think all performers do about <laughs> how people perceive them or. Or what people are, are are saying about them or to them, and, and and I would have conversations with this manager about that from time to time, and it was blatantly. Out, I mean, a lot of people in the music industry are like this, and it was just blatantly outright lied to many mm. times, and you know, so it's just about as simple as simple as a concept as that. And pennies and dimes was material that I had written throughout my twenties. Um, I you know, for some reason, felt that it was a lot easier to write about. Uh, uh, at that time in my life about the pain of growing up, I guess. And a lot of those songs are on that CD are about that. You know, mm-hmm. Pennies and Dimes itself was about um, what it's like to feel empty, but, uh, you know, and not have a lot of things, but still feel fulfilled in the end somehow. You know, I mean, just you can get to that point where you have a saving grace. Like, you know, money isn't about everything or stability isn't about everything. And I have found myself in certain stable points in my life regretting that stability because I wasn't as happy as I was when I was poor and destitute, you know, and, and it had more. So the whole album was sort of themed on that Very and good. just in relationships and, and whatnot. Well, you've uh, you've done a good job of, of teasing the listener just enough to go, to go looking for it now. So, uh, nice nicely done there. And Brian, thanks so much uh, for your time today. Thanks for the conversation. Enjoyed it very much. Well, thank you, Bruce. Appreciate it. Absolutely. I will close as normal by thanking my guest formally today, being guitar player and singer songwriter Brian Lee from the band Suede Austin. Visit their official website at www.suedeaustin.com. And be sure to find them and like them on Facebook as well. If you are in the greater Austin area, by all means, you certainly want to get to see them out performing somewhere in that area. And of course, Brian himself has a page on Reverb Nation, which you can find at ReverbNation.com slash Brian Andrew Lee. Plus, we've been talking about his solo CD called Pennies and Dimes, which is available on iTunes, Amazon.com, CDBaby.com, other online retailers as well. Don't forget to visit www.nowhearthis.biz and sign up for the email newsletter there by simply putting in your email address. That's it, just the one field. And of course, please do subscribe to this podcast and tell your friends, family, coworkers, next door neighbors about it. Give us a nice review on iTunes or Stitcher Radio too, and hopefully that will be accompanied by a five-star rating that you can click Uh, That actually does help the show quite a bit. If you're listening on SoundCloud, remember that you can like and share episodes there and even comment, and you can also follow on SoundCloud, which is just like subscribing. As I mentioned before, let's get your feedback on the show. Post your comments on the Now Hear This Facebook page. There are links to it and Twitter and even the Now Hear This official YouTube channel on nowhearthis.biz. 
We have been recording this show at the great facilities at Crystal Blue Sound Studios near Tampa, Florida. Check them out online at www.cbpro.net. That's CB as in Crystal Blue. Thanks for listening. We'll send you out today with an original song by Brian Andrew Lee from his Pennies and Dimes album. This is the one he just talked about. It's called Don't You Lie to Me.
to bring it in.